So 2020 is officially over and we are now starting off with a fresh 2021. I hope the year is amazing and marvelous for everyone. And really the bar is set low based off of how 2020 went. So let's just hope for the best. Now, if you follow me on any of the social media channels, then you know that I have a special announcement for this first episode in January. So starting in May, I believe, maybe late April or May, I will be taking off several weeks from the podcast to help raise a small child. I am currently pregnant about five months as of the date of this recording, and I'm due in May. And this is a really exciting and very scary time for me, but I am so excited for everybody who's been super enthusiastic and helpful with um, the announcement of my pregnancy, and I wanted to share it with everybody in the audience. So if you're like, what the heck? Same here. Now, that doesn't mean that the show will stop. No. Thankfully, I have a lot of great friends in the true crime community and beyond who, when I asked them if they could host some episodes in the near future, they happily agreed. So I'm happy to announce the following guests will be showing up in your podcast feed under True Crime Fan Club as guest hosts. First, we have Josh Hallmark from the True Crime Bullshit Podcast, then Charlie from Crime Lines, Colleen from the Misconduct Podcast. Hannah from the Boozy Movies podcast, Shay and Aaron from All Crime No Cattle, Tani from the Death is Hilarious podcast, and of course, our content editor and researcher, Brittany Martinez, and our talented and amazing researcher and writer, Susie St. John, will also be hosting episodes of their own. And of course, I will have some pre-recorded episodes that will be released on the feed, so you don't have to miss my voice for too long. So after my maternity leave is over, then I'll be back on the show ready to go. Don't worry, you'll still be able to hear me regularly on the Crimes of Passion podcast, and I will also be keeping up the other show, It's Haunted What Now, with pre-recorded episodes. So I'm super excited to see how 2021 returns, and I forgot to mention, we are going to be having a little girl. So we are so very excited to start this new chapter of our lives, and see where everything goes with the show. The show has been really, really great for me and I love it so much and I love interacting with all of you. And thankfully the team behind the scenes has been working really hard since late last year to get everything going for the next few months while I'm out. Anyways, that's enough of the business. On to the show. Explicit content is found in this episode. So listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Your family is supposed to come before everything. So many of us learn this and abide by it. But there are some that break that sacred bond by destroying the family unit. When you demolish what matters most to you, what does that make you? Okay, on to the show. Azizola Aziz Yazdan Pena was born on May 29, 1955 in Iran. Aziz also went by Bob. He was described as a friendly and generous man who loved his children. Aziz was also described as sweet, outgoing, and kind. He was a jokester who also had a conservative side that was very protective of his family. His family was Nazreen, his wife, Nona, his daughter, and Ali, his son. Also close in Aziz's life was his sister-in-law and Nazreen's sister, Zora, 
and her husband, Muhammad, as well as their daughter, Sarah. He had weapons for protection and cameras in the house. He had, quote, weapons for protection and cameras in the house, said Nona's friend, Allison. Aziz especially didn't want boys to date his daughter. Aziz made sure to restrict his daughter's cell phone use. One neighbor said that he called Aziz packing heat Bob because Aziz had once spoken about carrying a gun because he was having problems with his daughter's boyfriends. Fatima Nazreen Ramati was born on February 4, 1956 in Iran. Nazreen was described as a selfless mother and a gifted cook who never shared recipes. She was known to be at least 45 minutes early to work. Nazreen and Aziz were married on August 21, 1987 in Dallas, Texas. According to one of Nona's friends, Nona said that her parents' marriage was arranged. Nona Nargis Yazdan Panda was born on September 22, 1992 in Dallas County, Texas. Nona had just graduated high school and was going to community college. She wanted to move to California for law school. Nona loved her long hair. She did not like being the center of attention, so much so that she didn't dance at her own graduation party. Nona felt like her father was really strict and that her mother was more understanding. Ali Yazdan Panda was born April 22, 1997 in Tarrant County, Texas. Ali was a Coffeyville Heritage High School student. Ali liked to play paintball and he wanted to join the Marines. The Yazdan Panda family was described as very private. They didn't want to make anyone look bad. Every time I saw them, they had a smile on their faces. They weren't fake. They were just so optimistic, said Sara Zare's friend, Nada. Sara was Nazreen's niece. Nada also said that both the Zare's, Nazreen's sister's family, and the Yazdan Pandas would meet U.S. troops who were returning from deployment at the airport to welcome them home. The families also baked cookies and brought them to local fire stations. Nada said, they love to love. Zore Ramadi, Nazreen's sister, was born on March 19, 1953. Zore was talented at arranging flowers, although her career was as a spa owner. She was known to help pay her employees' bills if they needed help. Mohammed Zari, Zora's husband, was born on January 28, 1952. Mohammed moved to the United States with absolutely no money. He saw a $25 sweater he wanted, so he got a job, saved his money, and bought the sweater. The sweater was eventually framed and hung up in his home. Muhammad and Zora were described as kind people that had a heart for everybody. For example, a woman named Sherry got into a car wreck and was in a coma. When she woke up, Muhammad and Zora were there. They had heard about Sherry through a mutual friend. Muhammad and Zora would visit Sherry to make sure she was okay. Zora and Muhammad had a son named Siavosh on January 8, 1979. Unfortunately, Siavosh passed away from intraventricular hemorrhaging nine days later on January 17th. According to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, an intraventricular hemorrhage, or IVH, is bleeding inside or around the ventricles, the spaces in the brain, containing the cerebral spinal fluid. Babies with complications of prematurity are more likely to have IVH. The smaller and more premature the baby, the more likely IVH will occur. Nearly all IVH occurs within the first four days of life. 
Mohammed and Zoray had a daughter, Sara. Sara Fatime Zoray was born on July 30, 1989, in Dallas County, Texas. Sara went to North Hill School. She was enrolled at the University of Texas at Arlington. She was studying to become a doctor. She was in the Delta 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 sorority. She often spelled her name as S-A-H-R-A instead of its correct spelling, S-A-R-A. Sara was known to write heartfelt letters to her friends. One friend said her light shone so brightly that no one could resist her friendship. The Zaray family owned Cedar Canyon Dude Ranch in Lancaster, Texas for more than 20 years. In 1996, Aziz was put on three years probation for subscribing to a false income tax return. He had to pay a $1,000 fine and paid $30,119 in restitution to the U.S. Department of Justice. This is possibly the beginning of 15 years of money issues, although the issues could have occurred before 1996. In 1999, Aziz and Nazreen filed for bankruptcy, but the case was dismissed months later. Between October 1999 and August 2010, they would file for bankruptcy four more times. During the 2000s, their house would face foreclosure three times. The final time was in August 2010. Aziz was a real estate agent in the Dallas, Texas area. In 2007, business was declining and he was forced to close his business. In 2007, business was declining and he was forced to close down his business. In order to keep the family financially afloat, Aziz's wife Nazreen began working two spa jobs as she had a cosmetology license. Aziz had forbid Nazreen to work for years, but he had no choice but to let her go back to work. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Trust me, I have been there and I still struggle with these issues. But BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you like it's been there for me. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment, which is so convenient for me, and it really makes me feel comfortable. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you need to. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in LGBTQ plus matters, grief, self-esteem, trauma, relationships, anxiety, you name it. Anything you share with them is confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, and they're available worldwide. Start communicating in under 24 hours. The best thing is it's secure, convenient, professional, affordable, and it's not a crisis line. Best of all, like I said, it's a truly affordable option. True Crime Fan Club podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code TCFC. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash TCFC. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash TCFC to get 10% off your first month. As the years went by for reasons unknown, Aziz remained unemployed. 
Nazarene's two jobs did not bring enough income to make the house payments, and by 2010, the family's house was about to be foreclosed on. Their home had 3,010 square feet and was in the Colleyville suburb. As one can imagine, the financial issues put a strain on Aziz and Nazarene's marriage. In April 2010, Nazarene and their two children, Nona and Ali, moved out of the family home into the Lincoln Vineyards apartment complex, around two miles from the house. Nazarene's brother, Ali Ramadi, gave her the money to move out. He said that the children were not doing well at school due to their home life. Aziz had a key to Nazarene's apartment and would often stop by to see the kids. According to the police report, Nazarene told her apartment management that she feared Aziz. She also told a co-worker that Aziz did not take well to the impending divorce. Nazarene told one co-worker that Aziz was not providing for the family, as was his Muslim responsibility. But Nazarene's brother Ali said that she didn't think Nazarene was afraid of Aziz. Aziz remained in the family home. In order to avoid foreclosure, Nazreen filed for bankruptcy in August 2010, but the bankruptcy didn't stop foreclosure on the house. The house was eventually set to be sold in a foreclosure auction in 2012. The house was valued at over $336,000. After 20 years of marriage, Nazreen also filed for divorce. The divorce proceedings were later dismissed because she failed to make the planned payments. According to the police report, Aziz told a friend that he and his brother-in-law Muhammad would lie to their wives about trips they took in which they would get hotel rooms with sex workers. Allegedly, Muhammad told his wife Zora about the trips. Police said this may be part of why Nazreen and Aziz split up, but there aren't many sources that allude to this, so it's not clear how true this really is. As the months passed by, Aziz continued to live in the old family home while he watched his wife and children build a new home without him. Because Aziz did not have a source of income, the old family home had no electricity or running water and little furniture. Nazreen had been planning to send her children to spend Christmas in London with her brother Ali who lived there. Ali, a surgeon, had something come up and the kids couldn't go to London after all. Ali later said, now I wish that I had been with them. It may sound odd that the Zoray and the Yazdan Painda family were both Muslim, yet celebrated Christmas, but they did so as a cultural holiday. On Christmas Eve 2011, Nazreen and her sister Zora threw a Christmas Eve party at the Zoray's ranch. Aziz was not invited. Those who knew him said that Aziz was most likely extremely offended by not being invited to the party. Aziz's friends also believe that Aziz felt like Nazarene's sister Zora was interfering with his marriage. He felt like Zora had control over his wife and children, and they would listen to her when she called him evil. On Christmas Day 2011, Aziz showed up, uninvited to Nazarene's apartment, dressed as Santa Claus. Although the full story is not known, Nazarene most likely let him in because there was no sign of forced entry. Then Nazreen's daughter Sora, her husband Muhammad, and their daughter Sara arrived just before 11 a.m. After her arrival, Sara texted her boyfriend and said, So we're here. We just got here, and my uncle is here too, dressed as Santa. Awesome. Then, 15 minutes later, Sara texted her friend again and said, 
Now he wants to be all fatherly and win father of the year. With everyone present, the two families began opening gifts around the Christmas tree. It wasn't long before Aziz pulled out two guns, a 9mm and a 40 caliber, and began shooting. The shooting occurred between 11.15 a.m. when Zara sent the text and 11.36 a.m. when Aziz called 911. After killing all six of his family members, Aziz placed one gun in Muhammad's hand to make it look like Muhammad had been the killer. At 11.36 a.m., Aziz called 911 from the apartment's landline phone. According to the police warrant, Aziz was whispering and asking for help. The dispatcher responded by asking if Aziz needed help, if he was sick, if he needed police or an ambulance. It seems like the dispatcher didn't understand or couldn't hear exactly what was going on. Later, the 911 call audio was enhanced, and you could hear people screaming, help, help, in the background. Aziz hung up the phone, then completed suicide with the second gun. The 911 call lasted only 15 to 20 seconds. Grapevine 911, where is your emergency? Hello, Grapevine 911. You need help? Are you sick? What was that? Do you need an ambulance or police? Hello? One moment. Three minutes later, police arrived at the apartment and knocked on the door, but no one answered. Police then looked in the windows and saw unresponsive people on the couch and ground. They forced their way inside. Inside, they found seven dead bodies between the living room and adjoining kitchen. The presents and discarded gift wrap were still on the ground. 55-year-old Nazreen, 19-year-old Nona, 14-year-old Ali, 58-year-old Zora, 59-year-old Muhammad, 22-year-old Sara, and 56-year-old Aziz were dead inside. Police went door-to-door to see if anyone heard anything, but the surrounding apartments were vacant. Police searched Aziz's vehicle, which was parked outside the apartment as well as his home. They took his computers in for testing, but they found nothing. Police said that because Aziz's house didn't have electricity, they found that he hadn't used his computer in a long time. None of this stuff was helpful to them. Nazreen's brother, Ali Ramati, said that he spoke with all six of the victims on Christmas morning. He said they were happy and looking forward to the rest of the holidays. Police found that the 9mm was registered to Aziz. He bought it in 1996. They don't say anything about the 40 caliber. The 9mm could hold 15 rounds and the 40 caliber could hold 10 rounds. There was one round left in each gun. Nazreen was shot once in the head. Nona, Ali, Sara, and Zora were shot multiple times in the head. Muhammad was shot multiple times in the head, chest, and stomach. Some victims put their hands up to try and protect themselves. Police determined that the motive behind Aziz's mass murder was financial and marital strain. He was distraught that his wife and children were living a successful life without him. One friend of Nona said, I swear I never had a bad feeling about Aziz when I met him. A family friend said, 
During the years, we sensed things, but not to the point he would take his own children's lives. The victims were buried in a private burial on December 29, 2011, in Dallas, Texas, at Restland Cemetery. Muhammad, Sarah, and Zora share a plot. Nazreen, Ali, and Nona share a plot. Aziz's funeral was held separately, though there is not much information out there about it. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. This episode was researched by Haley Gray, written by Brittany Martinez, content editing by Brittany Martinez, produced by Ches Gray at Gray Multimedia. Check them out on Facebook at Gray Multimedia.